0: Hello, welcome to your local Imaginarium. I'm host Daniel Williams, along with host Calvin Seymour. Let's get started. All right, so let's get uh, started with our imaginary follow-up. We don't actually have any follow up so we have to imagine people were actually following up with us. And uh, as we imagined the follow-up from our imaginary friends, we started thinking about um, what are people Do they really exist? Maybe maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's the reason we don't get any follow-up, is that people don't actually exist to give us any follow-up. What do you think? I think the people who are imaginary, imaginary friends, uh, they can't speak to us because they're imaginary. So we we have to imagine what they might be saying to us. If they were saying something to us, they'd be saying something like, And and I think that would be really interesting.
1: Well, you know, they must be real. Last I checked, we had about, about 60 imaginary friends uh, tuning in and listening to uh, our craziness. I know um, for a
0: fact that there is at least one person out there that listens that's not you and me. I got some generic follow-up from one of those people, and they uh, they had some they had some good feedback that I appreciated, and I'm sure remain nameless because they didn't give me permission to mention them directly.
1: Well, they don't Just, exist uh, anyway, so what's the problem?
0: Well, that's true. If they don't exist, and they're equally they're equal with everybody else. But I at least imagined someone giving us some feedback. Uh, and so I appreciate let's that feedback.
1: Let's call him Figment,
0: him or her, Figment. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which leads us to the whole the whole uh, initial concept we're talking about here at the beginning is uh, questioning our reality, and really our reality is defined by by our brain, right? It just right. it just receives electrical signals from our various senses and it interprets them. It makes tries to make sense of them. It does this, um, you know. It, it's not just like um, taking it in and immediately giving us giving our, our consciousness what it sees. It has to fit it into into a uh, a model, and that model has to exist in time and it has to fit in things we understand. So if, if there's something we completely or alien to us not to throw that word out quite yet but something completely foreign to us we may not be able to even see it or hear it or experience it because our brain is attempting to fit it into some model that it can't and instead of instead of instead of doing something it can't do it just uh, doesn't let our conscious really know uh, know it or be aware of it um, well, you know, there's lots of
1: things the brain will do to protect you from trauma. Uh, you know, uh, I'll tell you something it does too. It, it. Like, have you ever picked up a glass of something thinking it was something else and you drink it? It might be something you just love, but when it's not what you were expecting, your brain, you, you're alarmed.
0: Your brain's like, Whoa, that is not the deal. So I'll tell you a story where it wasn't something I drank or something I ate. It was, uh, a bowl of this white stuff that I thought was uh cake, cake batter. And I stuck my finger in it. It was on my, It was many years ago. I was my, I was still a kid at my parents' house and it was just a, you know, aluminum bowl or whatever. Um, and I stuck my finger in it and I pulled it out and I, mm, right. And it wasn't cake batter. It was like margin or margin or something like that. Just a bowl is in the middle of getting prepared or leftover or something. I forget exactly. And uh, that was a shocking moment as I my brain adjusted from what I was expecting and had predicted uh, to what was actually going on, which was not sweet at all. And I was very unhappy with that, and immediately went to the sink. And ever since then, I have I've been very careful about examining the food I'm eating. Uh, so I guess I learned my lesson there. My brain learned that lesson early. Yeah. You know,
1: this is kind of why, and this may come into play later when we are talking about our other subject, but this is kind of why eyewitness testimony is a little shady because people kind of see what they expect to see. So sometimes they see things that didn't really happen, you know. Uh, I believe there's only certain levels and thresholds for that personally. Uh, I, for one, you know, know everyone everyone sees the little shadow out of the corner of their eye all the time you know what was that you look and you're like you're sure you saw something move um or 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 you you know you you whatever you you do something like that and your brain just kind of built something there you know for you to worry
0: about i don't know yes and uh you know our our brain you know, we effectively have two brains, the left side and the right side. And I'm not talking about like uh, logic or emotion or anything. We just physically have the two, two parts of the brain and, and it's connected, you know, in, in the center there with this sort of a synchronizing group of tissue and stuff. But, uh, it, you know, things come in at, at slightly different rates and it's a big network of things, uh, a network of neurons up there all firing and trying to consolidate all those various inputs. And it's got a model you know, it's just it, it it's again, it's running that model of the world, and when things are uh, don't quite line up, don't quite sync up. uh, instead of just like shutting down and dying, which would be kind of uh, a bad bad solution, I think that uh, you know it it can glitch a little bit, and we we experience that in various ways. Uh, we can have de- deja vu. Uh, we can have um, see things like you say out of the corner of the eye. I don't know. I don't know if everybody sees it, sees or experiences these glitches in the exact same way, we can, uh, we can, uh, deja deja vu is especially interesting because um, you know, you have that feeling of seeing it before. And I think it's a common, I don't know if this is the current scientific explanation, but what I have heard is that it's one side of the brain sort of getting the information a little bit earlier than the other side and um, not quite getting it all put together yet. And then, the other side getting it and it and your memory is like, oh, I've seen that before because indeed you just saw that like 200 milliseconds earlier and you weren't really conscious of it because it hasn't all been put together in that model, model in the brain. But I will talk a little bit more about the brain as a, as sort of a separate, separate thing that's going, that has these inputs from your various senses, um, your eyes, you know, feeding information. Uh, your, your senses, like your skin and your nose, um, and of course they are, they're all tra- they travel up through these nerves into your brain. The brain just sitting there receiving these signals, and, like we said before, they're putting them all together and making this model of the world. Uh, and if you have an understanding of science, if you have an understanding of basic uh, reality, which Humans, as they grow up, they experiment. They grab things. They they, they taste things that aren't what they think it is. They, they learn, right? So, we all establish a basic understanding of how the world works. But also, if you study things that maybe aren't uh, so basic as just feeling feeling things are dif- that are solid versus gas versus um, water, if you can put that in context, uh, if you if you study something formally and then you can actually experience it later and that model becomes more sophisticated, uh, perhaps more rigid, maybe less able to deal with things it's not aware of, or maybe more able to deal with things it doesn't understand, depending on exactly how you study and how your brain adapts. But um, all of that learning you do, formal, informal becomes a model that your brain is constantly fitting the inputs to and You can train your brain in a way, I think, I believe, because, uh, you know, if you sit and play a computer game, uh, you're you're uh, sort of learning the physics of that game. And if you play it a lot and you play it uh, sort of you get really into it and you don't really keep in your mind that it's a simulation that doesn't apply to the external world that you live in then it becomes something that can incorporate and become i wouldn't call it dangerous but it can become something that's sort of a, a false uh, set of how things can work in the world and whether that's you know physics like you think you can rocket jump or if it's uh economics because uh, uh, uh the economic model you're uh exposed to or even Become hyper trained because it's a it's a particularly good model that teaches you something that maybe you wouldn't learn in the real world, but you learn in this fun environment. It's reinforced anyway. So your brain becomes uh, trained to these models, and then the inputs come in, and your brain fits them. And I think that's that's just really cool because I think that that understanding will color all the rest of our our discussion tonight. About what what exactly we're receiving, and versus what we are, <clears throat> we can understand what we see and what other people see and understand.
1: Well, you t- you touched on something I, that I'd like to talk about. Uh, that's you know the whole virtual worlds. Uh, you you know both of us have been in the past pretty pretty big MMO type of players though I haven't played anything in a long time. Um, but, you know, you get immersed in the world. Uh, the world certainly can be more fun than re- reality. And some people really like it's like a drug. They, they go through withdrawal symptoms if they're away from it. It's just, you know, it's living imagination it's just brought to being for you in these worlds you can fly you uh you can cast spells or you can you know uh be be some kind of champion from uh, a kingdom you know things you just could only really get in your dreams um uh, before you had the interactive Kind of uh, thing. I mean, I kind of think of like a, a video game, like that. An immersive MMO is kind of almost like being able to play co- consciously in a dream. You can go anywhere and do anything, and that's that's a big attraction to a lot of ima- you know people that love imagination.
0: I and know. Uh, it, it physically, you get a sort of an endorphin hit, and the people who create these games have. They they learn you know they have learned over the many many years of these uh, games of of all types. Endorphin, so you uh, you get rewarded, and they know that if you just reward someone at a steady pace, you will get someone playing uh, at a certain enjoyment level, which is not as successful as say they get no reward ever. If you play a game quote game and there's never any reward because it's too difficult, then people quit, and the next level up is these rewards that are steady, that are very common uh, that happen and they happen and they happen at a steady pace. They happen. They happen. And people play those and are happy. But what really gets people, what's really addictive is the irregular, the thing where you get something and you don't get something and and you don't get something and then you don't get something and then you do get something and then you don't and then you don't and then you do and then you do. And then you don't, and you don't, and you don't, and you don't, and you don't, and, you don't. <laughs> and then you do. And that is that is the really addictive endorphin hits that MMOs, um, that you know, we both play, play those, that are uh, very effective at that. So you put in a lot of effort, and you get these irregular hits, and you just get that addiction of those endorphin feel-good, and it, it just pulls you in, and then you are literally addicted to you know, not like heroin, but like, you know, but naturally let, me addicted.
1: You, let me ask you this. You're right. I mean, like I, when I'm really into one, I can feel the addiction. I don't really want to do much else uh you know i I haven't been in one in a long time uh i didn't like world of warcraft i know i know shoot me but uh so that kind of got me out when everyone got so sucked into world of warcraft because i like my worlds a bit more serious you know uh epic even and uh, you know
0: I think the you like the silliness right you don't like yes, the silliness
1: the first time I walked up to a, a troll and he started speaking reggae to me I just logged out I was just you know I've tried to play it you know a few times over the years too and you know I'll play a little but it just, it just I don't know it just wasn't the same for me so I kind of stopped but when playing I, I certainly can feel that addiction level um, love uh I love to be immersed in it and i got a question for you you know and th- th- this is this is really true but when you when you step out into the real world it can carry over a little bit like i remember a long time ago when uh, ultima online came out this is my first real experience with an mmo and i jumped in and got immersed and i believe about three months later was the first time i saw daylight okay uh and in in ultima online they have this they have, it was the wild wild west they didn't understand all the things that they would knew, need to do to protect a player base from shenanigans and Because one of the first things people do when they get the power to do anything without any kind of repercussions is they do evil things. (laughs) Groups of people band together and do evil things. And in UO, it was no different. Uh, And you had... People that would run around and they would pickpocket you all the time. Uh, they would do what's called player kill or PKU. If you, you know, if you even step foot out of town, ninety uh, percent chance you were going to be, you know, murdered. So it got to where you you had to get a group together before you ever tried to leave town. And, uh, you know, but when you when I stepped out of that game for that first time. I can remember I I went out with some friends and I had such a problem with people standing close to me. I felt like they were going to pick my pocket like in UO and I never had that problem before. And it was, it was real noticeable. I was just, was very uncomfortable in that crowd. And, uh, it was, I mean, and there was no rational thing for it. My, my brain knew I was in the real world, but, Still, it had some effect on me, you know.
0: Okay, so I do understand, and I'll, I'll say that MMOs have had a very weak effect on me because I don't like the mechanics of the gameplay. Uh, you know, just walking around, hit one, two, three, four, five, uh, and having something happen. i, mean, I, don't, I mean, that's not even a description of good of modern MMOs, but there's just something about the mechanics of the gameplay. EverQuest, uh, World of Warcraft, where it's just something doesn't match up. I played a lot of EverQuest for the interaction with my friends that I had made on there and as soon as that started to, you know, the real world friends or whatever, the shift, the balance, the shift or whatever, uh, I just got less and less interested in it uh, until it was only for the friend interaction, which it's just online only at that point and Eventually, the actual gameplay uh, was, was like a poison, growing and growing, uh, and I just had to had, had to exit out, and just a bunch of other uh, reasons there. But that that's the the gist of it is that uh, I never really liked the gameplay uh, of the MMOs, so I was always sort of uh, I don't know immune to it, but I was definitely uh, inoculated to some degree to those those games. However does not applied to other types of games that have aspects like uh, games that are more action oriented. I enjoy much more. And as soon as they started incorporated MMO stuff into them, I I started, there was very effective against uh, against me. Um, One of the games that I had a similar experience to what you were saying was not an MMO. It was an action game. It was the uh, late nineties and, I played a lot of a game called NetTrek, which was a uh, multiplayer online, surprise Star Trek based game where you just fought, and it was competitive to some degree. Um,
1: I gotta hold you up. Gotta hold you up. I'm sorry to interrupt. We need we need a phaser sound or one of those uh, little little Kirk sounds anytime you mention Star Trek to kind of pay you back for Conan.
0: Okay, well, I know what I know. This we're going to have it right now. Well, we've had a little like a uh, like a little communicator uh, opening up. Yeah,
1: yeah. First time you say it's going to have to happen.
0: All right. Well, anyway, so I do think well,
1: you've now mentioned Star Trek as much, if not more.
0: Well, I'm going to keep mentioning Star Trek. Yeah. It's a major influence on my life. The okay. uh, the anyway, Net Trek. I played a lot of it, and I'd play. You know, like detrimentally to my grades in college, you know, that type of level. Uh, and I was driving home late one night from the lab, having played a lot of Nettrek. And in, in Nettrek, uh, you've got starships, right? And you got lasers and I uh, phasers. I oh got phasers, not lasers, phasers and torpedoes and uh, transporters and shields and uh Pressers and tractor beams, right? Anyway, so it's a tactical game where you're fighting other players, and you know, a tactic would be like you presser someone to sort of hold them in place, and you shoot them, or you track your man and sort of get them closer so you can shoot them, etc. Anyway, so I'm driving home one night, and uh, I'm on the road, and I've been playing many hours of this game, and I come up to a turn, and there's a car. You know, like I'm going left, and there's a car going to go in the, in the place where I'm—across the place where I'm going to be turning into. And I swear, I just barely caught myself from attempting to presser the car to hold it up a little bit while I could turn in front of it, which wasn't going to work. So, yeah. <laughs> so, when I did that, I was like, whoa, that's a little crazy. Let's Let's cut it back a little bit, which I didn't. But I— was definitely aware at that moment that I was, you know, fatigue late nights, uh, a lot of just being trained in a certain way that, uh, I definitely felt it, it wasn't psychological, like you, like people, people were not the problem. It was just like, press through this car, take a turn in front of them. I don't know what I was going to do. I was going to torpedo them as I went by. I, I, I don't know, but, uh, I definitely felt that the, the fantasy world creeping into the real world, from repetition and just immersion, immersion. So it can be scary warning. I'll do it too much. So
1: how do we know that the real world's not the virtual worlds we play, you know what I mean? You go in there, they get so immersed. What makes us realize when we're back and our focus is all, you know, to me, I, I don't
0: uh, know. If it, I don't, so if, I'm just going to skip to the end and, be, and give you a conclusion and we can talk about it. But I think ultimately we, we don't know have a, a way right now to know whether this is a simulation, where with whether we're on some starship, reliving our past lives as we travel a thousand a thousand light years to some distant planet, and we're just having our brain stimulated, or we live in a simulation built by some super being. That are there tests
1: for that though? Like I mean, like I, I remember reading something. I can't give any details, but just on a high, high level, I remember seeing something about there are certain tests you can
0: tell, to, you can do, to see if you're in a simulation. I think there was some speculation about some tests, um, yeah. and you know people people look at what we understand about reality. When you get down to the quantum level, how it's not, you know, it's not analog. Basically, it's quantum. It's you're at state A, you're state B you don't really travel between those. And that's a gross simplification. That's the best I can do. But they they look at that and say, well, that's that's consistent with some kind of optimization because whatever. And or because of some calculation that has to be doing in this supercomputer. But then there's also stuff like, you know, we're living in a simulation, we're living in a hologram. You know, we're just two-dimensional, really on the edge of the universe and we're being projected three-dimensionally. Okay, I don't. I'm sure I didn't describe that well, but there's there's a bunch of these sort of deep philosophical questions that talk about the nature of reality. And by analogy, they say, well, the brain is X, so therefore you move it one layer, one level out. And is the universe even real? Are we just having our brains in a jar somewhere, metaphorically or literally in some way? Um, So tests, I don't, I don't think there's a clear test. Uh it, it has to I mean it, what what is falsifiable about that, you have to say, is reality real? Uh I, I don't I don't know personally anything that is definitive and I don't think there is anything. And it would be kind of earth shattering if someone could come up with something like that. Uh 'cause then then you can apply it to any situation. You you get the, like um uh, some kind of mathematical or, or something, some calculation that can only be happening in the real world. If you, can, if you can come up with a solution, you know, it's the real world. And if you can't, then, you know, it's, it has to be some level deep. It just, I think I, I, I'm going to spend
1: a little time this week. And I'm going to look into things that, you know, specific questions or challenges so you can kind of challenge reality, uh, you know, just just because I think it's an interesting exercise to do. You know, let's uh you know, obviously ever since I was a kid I led a certain life and I've seen the certain things and I've been through these experiences and I believe they're all real and I believe I live in the real world and the reality we have. But I do think it's an interesting exercise to challenge that and to think about it. So I think I'll look into this a little more.
0: Okay. And also consider the philosophical position that it doesn't matter, right? That you know, ethically or morally, it doesn't matter whether we live in a le- you know, level three of of twenty, or we have managed to move up to two or one. We're in the quote real world, or what even that even means. I think, I think philosophically, even if we could figure out a test, that because because of um, maybe external. I don't, I don't know how to say it, but I think it would ultimately reduce down to it doesn't matter. But uh, anyway, so if you come up with some tests, we can talk about those next week and, and see. And that'd be kind of elderly, yeah. very interesting.
1: Yeah, definitely kind of a, an interesting subject. Just, you know, are we in some kind of virtual reality simulator, you know? Uh, but... You know even past that just you know let's 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 assume that this is real life just the escape is on the mind's able to pr- provide when you've had like i said like a traumatic experience you know uh people seriously can't even remember very traumatic things that happened to them and you're like well how can you not remember but the mind just won't let them it, it throws up this wall and protects them you know uh at least like again i'm not a psychologist but at least that's how it's portrayed on TV and movies, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I've never met someone who who who's like that. Who's just and I, you know, I'm sure sure they do exist, and um, or or some form of that exists. But um, you know, so so I don't know. I, I don't know, I, I can I can believe it because I know that when something bad happens to me, you know, I don't like to dwell on it. So indwelling is sort of a type of remembering, right? Also, also, yeah, that is true. But we'll also lie to ourselves,
1: make things fit us to build our own egos up. Uh, you know, if uh, if things don't go quite your way with you know what you were trying to achieve, then you ra- you know rationalize you know, a way why you didn't get that job or, or, uh, you know, why your uh, latest painting wasn't well received,
0: you know, you know, uh, right. And, and, and I understand that because, uh, in some ways it's your brain saying this, this model you had that led you expecting that to to be successful is faulty and sort of a failure. I mean, not totally, but, you know, a little bit in some way, and so let's not let's let's adjust the model uh, by going through and thinking about other things. So I, c- I can see that that uh, that happening both for positive reasons and for negative reasons. Uh, and, and by the negative, I mean like subtracting, like taking away the, your, the, from the model, but also positive because other things you're thinking about are emphasized and become m- more of the model that you actually uh, depend on. Yeah. Well, that was, that was a brain, that was a brain thing we just did. i kind of, I'm kind of, uh, I don't know. <laughs> the, the, the brain makes you think.
1: Yes. Very chill, very chill conversation compared to most of our other stuff. Uh, so let's
0: move on to something else. Let's move on yeah. to... Um, What's well, cool? Tell okay. me something. All right. Well, the only... Th- uh, I've been looking at some things, and one of the things I found was this idea of a warp drive. And uh, A couple episodes ago, you know, we've had so many, so I'm just going to be fake like that. A couple episodes ago, we talked about faster than light and parallel universes and stuff, so I did a little research, and the best sort of explanation of a warp drive that is in any way possible as we understand it. Uh, it. It uses some some terminology I can't pronounce and my, <laughs> and so forth. But I found a PBS uh, documentary on YouTube uh, from 2015 that sort of lays it out, and I will attempt to put that in the show notes. But it is uh, PBS and Wolf Drive, and it, it is oh my god, this dude's name I can't even can't even speak is A L C U B I. E R R E, is that warp drive possible? Space time PBS Digital Studios, uh, it's on YouTube, and it currently has just under a million views. So maybe, maybe, maybe if all of our imaginary friends go and view it, we could get up to a million.
1: Is this the warp drive that isn't supposed to be working but
0: does? Is, is this, no, I think this is. A, there's a history of this about um, mathematics in like early 90s. Someone laid out. a a mathematical foundation, and their only problem was it took basically all the energy in the universe and some other uh, levels of of impossible amounts of energy to to work, Uh, and and so people took that and sort of refined it and uh, reduced the amount of energy to not impossible levels I mean, not theoretically impossible levels, still impossible for us, but not theoretically impossible. Um, and there was another uh, another one I was reading. I don't know if this one has – this is the one that has it. But there's – it basically oscillates. and Well, the idea is that it will – Sort of weaken space time around it, and the the key the key piece was as it oscillates the the shape of space changes you know it's gravity and it can sh- 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 uh, shift the shape of space and it's the key piece was that how fast uh, space time can shift shape is not limited to light speed You can just basically do it at any speed um, and so. They oscillate back and forth, and they weaken space time. Well, you know, this means. is the
1: this is kind of the popular idea about how aliens might travel uh, to Earth. You know, really that that whole dimensional travel, basically. Uh, yeah, out, and, and it yeah. separates
0: itself. It basically, creates a bubble of separated space time, which is the key because at, at that point you. Are, or somewhere fragmented off, and you can do X. You can go somewhere else because you're you've, you've, you've separated from um, causality. Otherwise, uh, the rest of the universe. Uh, anyway, so. Well, in you know, it's, notes. It's, very, it's very
1: interesting that you bring this up because, uh, you know, we, our plans are to talk, we're to, to talk about some alien stuff later. But I have to point out a few things. One thing is that what you just described is very popularly considered to be the way that aliens are traveling. And it kind of explains the lights everyone's like, well, why do they have all these lights? Why are they? Why are they ever they're always being reported as a glowing th- this or a burning ball or whatever? Well, you know, when you're kind of warping reality around you, that's what it would look like. You know?
0: Uh, okay. Why would and, it look like? Why, why would it look like that?
1: Uh, just because it's oscillating and, tra- and basically trans, you know, shifting back and forth between dimensions, uh, which is uh also something later when i we're we're going to talk about this a little bit later i don't want to uh get what's cool out of whack here but uh it also if you'll you watch a lot of the nasa videos which is something i find very interesting the, the times you see them on there they also appear to be oscillating like that with light and uh uh just interesting point that you'd bring this warp drive up because that's that's kind of something i was going to talk about later Okay. Anyway. Well,
0: oscill- oscillation is nothing in common. Uh, and, and to go back and forth, I mean, your car oscillates. The, you know the uh, the piston back and forth, back and forth, up and down.
1: Well, I just uh, think I'm saying going from dimension to dimension. You know, light. Basically, you know, to travel light speed, or, or, or I think the way that it's usually kind of explained is they sort of agitate themselves into like another dimension in which able they're able to warp drive, like you're speaking by kind of
0: shaping it, like you know? like medieval monks beating themselves to agitate themselves, so they they agitate themselves and they're so upset they go to a higher plane of existence. And, it's and just travel.
1: interesting though because like a lot of the better footage, the things glow or they're very well they have lights and they often strobe, you know. I mean, all, I mean, this is very common amongst UFO sightings and uh, you know, it's interesting to me that it's a proposed technology that's kind of, you know, real you know, <laughs> I mean, so we at least believe it could be real, you know,
0: so uh, that's interesting Stranger things Stranger yeah. things have happened uh, Anything else cool? You know, I don't. I don't have anything else cool right now.
1: Uh, uh, no, to, no, no electric eyelashes from the future. Energy eyelashes. That was so awesome, man! I don't know how yeah. we're ever going to beat that.
0: Well, we can go back
1: to the peas in a the pod,
0: the, the space, space space plants, that people are growing. People.
1: Uh, I uh, I think that was uh, <laughs> a true fake product. That's never going to happen.
0: Um, I hope nope. the self-cutting your ass happens but well, I don't have any other cool stuff nope. other than that PBS warp I have kind of old but I read it recently right. I was
1: well you know they've like teleported a particle right uh,
0: yeah so that's uh, quantum teleportation where they can sort of entangle things and then that's my understanding ends. they can uh, move that photons or the the energy for one place or another without really going between them.
1: All they need to do now is just kind of, you know, Hey, we've got that down. Let's just figure out how to atomize everyone and put them back together. Right. That shouldn't be too hard. I mean, we can
0: move one molecule. We move them all. Right. Well, it's not molecules. I don't think maybe, maybe it is molecules, but the entanglement, it's not possible to transport Information, so you still have causality. Uh, so, excuse me. So even though you sort of transport this thing across these vast instances, theoretically without traversing the distance between them, the what you can carry along with you is limited. Um, the The actual the so things in science fiction that talk about uh, being able to communicate communicate over. Distances, um, the ansible, where you entangle things and you separate them through great distances, and then you can communicate. So even though you wouldn't be able to travel, unless you could transmit people over as information, uh, you could still communicate. And, and uh, the the science fiction, enter, the science fiction book *Ender's Game* and later in the movie sort of had this, where they're you know they have a commander in the back who could send send messages to the fleet. So even though the fleet was limited light speed, they can communicate great distances and he could, he could see uh, what was going on and give commands and stuff. Um, I think, I, I, I think uh, given reasonable amount of time that probably information will be the most we can ever transport in that way. And so probably will still be limited light speed, but maybe we'll have to worry about intervening, intervening, you know, stars and stuff. But anyway, the, uh, the, the real kicker is if we could digitize people, like scan them in some way and make a copy that was identical, whatever that means, um, somewhere else. So they could seem to travel. So they step into a booth and then they seem to step out of a booth elsewhere where elsewhere is very far away.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, what's that movie? Uh, Hugh Jackman is like a magician, and he
0: he figures, the, the prestige,
1: yeah, yeah. So he figures out uh, how to basically do this, but every time it happens, he creates another copy of himself, and then he murders that copy to keep living. But every time he steps through there, he he never knows w- which one of him was really him. You know
0: yeah. who was going, which consciousness was going to be right. the duplicate, and which was going to be the original. Which, which so was, yeah.
1: If someone said, "Hey, Daniel, you step into this booth, and we're going to disintegrate you, and then we're going to rebuild you. You'll not feel a thing. You'll carry on just like you are, are right now, one hundred percent. But you know, you." Would it be? think about that, okay? So if they were able to kill you, you because know, that's a, even if they weren't technically killing you, if they break you apart atom by atom and reassemble you even if they do it perfectly. You didn't exist for a a little bit, you know. So then you kind of start wondering about like things like where's my soul at when you get put back together. But it would be really neat if they could do it because if they could just pull you all apart and then throw you right back together and everything still works and none of those atoms die from lack of oxygen or whatever else that you know that's needed. I mean, would you step in that booth? That I mean, that would be.
0: So let's, you know, let's expand you the conversation through. a little bit and talk about not uh, – let's just compare uh, comparing and contrast to a slightly different situation where you have the different atoms, right, where they you scan you at, at a, a quantum level, at, you know, beyond quantum, whatever, whatever degree of accuracy and precision you want to, to say, that um, there is an ability then to store or copy that pattern that's scanned. So that for a brief moment, there's two absolutely identical versions of you, right? And then they destroy the original. Uh, so what I was talking about before is if they could, tra- you know, so they could, in an intervening time, they could transmit that information they've stored. In great distance, a little bit of distance, you know, basically a transporter. And, uh, you know, they reassemble or that they just assemble those that pattern from some... Some spare parts, spare atoms they have hanging around, into a functionally absolutely identical version of you that existed just previously. So it's very similar. So differences in what you were from from what you were saying was that uh, they're not the same atoms. They're not temporarily disassociated and then reassociated. They are just. Otherwise, it did work, where you had a couple of carbon atoms and an oxygen atom over here in this little space, and over here at distance X, there are some other atoms. Exactly the same on the other side. And when you I get started... Promise
1: up- you, I promise you if a company ever develops this, they'll claim it's the other way no matter what <laughs> because no one's going to step through there going, this is going to kill me. Even though I'm going to immediately... Be back alive again.
0: No one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let me, let me throw in One third situation that is similar. And it goes back to our brain talk. And that is you are standing there and someone can scan your head, your brain, and they get an exact scan copy of that. And they have a really powerful computer, which has ability to simulate reality. And they start running that simulation in the computer so that effectively you wake up inside some environment inside a computer. And they can control the, what the brain receives, the the electrical impulses and stuff, so that they can experience reality inside the computer. So the simulation of the brain inside the computer uh, is functionally identical to outside the computer um, because the physical environment is so simulated to such a fidelity that you can't tell. So that's the, that's the, are we living in reality? Or are we in some kind of simulation? Right. So that there is no functional difference between, uh, the reality and the two, the simulated reality and the external reality and the brain fidelity of experience is the same so that you have effectively been uploaded to the computer. Uh, is that different than the disassemble and re- reassemble to the brain and the computer at time X it didn't exist. Time X plus one it does exist, but it has all the memories from X and, and before, uh, to the person outside that, that is, that is the original, uh, that is now a, effect, a fun- effectively a functional copy of the brain running in some computer, uh, they have been uploaded, but they themselves still continue to exist outside of it. So even though they've been uploaded, it goes back to the the prestige problem of which is the original and which is the um, which is the copy. Because the next step, obviously, is that the computer can and the computer copy can then be copied and so forth like that. Uh, is that is that different than from the second scenario? Where you are making a copy, disassembling atoms and then reassembling from the pattern.
1: Yeah, all I know is no one's going to reassemble my atoms.
0: <laughs> I would not be brave enough to use that technology. What if you were to? What if you were come to the conclusion that our reality is indeed a simulation to some degree? That you are already uh, uh, running. Well, I mean, then it
1: wouldn't matter, you know. If I if I truly believed that, you know. Uh, you know, like, well, like, like, well, like
0: I said, said, yeah, well, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it really ultimately matters, uh, whether you live in reality or this fake, fake reality with, with all, all the products are fake by fake, right? They, they, uh, in, in the simulated world versus in the quote, real world and external world, um, how you act, what happens to you, is is equally, um, they're equal, they're morally equivalent, ethically equivalent. Uh, personally, the the problem I would have would be the it's weird, but it'd be the old copy that would continue to exist, right? So if if something like that were to happen to me, what I would want to happen would be that I'd be put to sleep. Like, not like I put an animal or pet to sleep, but like, you know, you go to sleep, you get unconscious, ready for surgery or something, you're unconscious, and then the process happens. And then you wake up at step two, reassembled in rather, you know, from the original atoms or from different atoms or your uploaded consciousness wakes up in the simulated reality and never have the option possibility of the original Waking back up—that's that's what I would prefer. Even though that would effectively mean that this body that I currently possess would be effectively dead, there there would only be one strain of consciousness that continues—that is me. And maybe my thoughts on that will evolve if that, any of that becomes possible. But the um, the idea that if we have a unique set that's attached to our physical like my finger that has a splinter in it is somehow special because of the particular atoms that make it up that eventually connect to other atoms and connect to other atoms that are sending impulses into my brain I don't I don't believe that that's particularly important from a philosophical perspective I could be wrong
1: yeah well, it's a lot of food for thought and all very cool. But uh, I, I just, you know, it's just something to me that would be, that's it's so mind-blowing that even if I wouldn't trust the machines, of course, you know, I'm partially paranoid anyway, but I just, I wouldn't trust a, a machine like that to get me there and it really be me, you know? I don't know, it's just creepy,
0: very creepy. Yeah, and if you, if you didn't trust it, then you would wake up and be like, Oh my God, is this what I would really be thinking? Or is this just a copy thinking this only because it's a copy? You'd have, you'd yeah, have to, you have to have, 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 like have a deep true under belief that it was really you or you would quickly, I think, or eventually devolve into just paranoia and psychosis and <laughs> have some problems.
1: Well, very cool. Uh, Okay, so ready for the week in fantasy art?
0: Yeah, hit me. I want. I want. I was. I was very impressed last week about uh, uh, What you told me, and I know you have less this week, but that's okay. Just hit, hit me did, with did
1: what you, you got. Uh, yeah, did you? Um. Well, just we'll do a follow up on it. Did you looked into the Fantasia stuff, the auction at Heritage?
0: A, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, that's as far as I'll, I'll go. It's been a busy week, but I did look at it, so yes. <laughs> okay.
1: So that's cool. So uh, what, we have a guy here who doesn't, who's never really looked into fantasy art, and here he is taking a peek. That's kind of why I'm doing this. Uh, so this is Phantasmal.com's week in, fan- in fantasy art. I'm changing that. Uh, I've been been calling it imaginative realism. But I realized a couple things. Uh, one, I'm on much more on a broader spectrum than just imaginative realism. And it's even though it is the primary thing I kind of follow, you know, uh, there's just all sorts of other little, you know, things that we, we can uh, – talk about and fantasy art also happens to be wild wildly more used as a keyword so hey a little marketing bar as well so i think uh we're gonna call it the week in fantasy art and this week i don't have a ton i wasn't it's you know they're gonna be like weeks where it's a lot and we'll, we'll talk for 20 minutes and there'll be weeks where it'll be five minutes and that's what it is um this week i found several cool pieces uh, uh uh, a Donato Giancola drawing uh, on eBay uh, went for below 200 which, if you follow that at all, you know, it never sells for less than like $500 for a Donato drawing. So someone got a great deal. Uh, if they, you know, I know everyone on Phantasmal gets those messages. If you're, if you are a, if you have liked Phantasmal, the pay. Page, make sure you also go to the page and read the instructions on getting to the group because the group is where you'll get the alerts sent to you proactively to your email. And unlike a page where they only show a certain percentage of the people that follow it, the article uh, groups get the email. So if you don't want to miss things, and uh, you, that's where you need to go. is uh, Go to facebook.com slash then actually look at the pin top instructions on how to like the group as well or just hit the sign up button that's where it takes you um so other art, art news really uh there's a at 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 Heritage this week. They, they kind of do a weekly auction that also's on comes kind of to the side of some of the bigger ones. Um uh, and this week I noticed there's a couple of, one of my one of my favorite little artists uh Stephen Fabian who's to me just one of the best pencilers there is. Uh his uh you know, a lot of older work. Uh, it's great body of work that he has, and you can find all sorts of different subject matter. Uh, it, I know of three pieces right now. There's two on heritage. Uh, uh, the ones on heritage. One's kind of a Conan type. Oh, I said Conan. I meant a barbarian <laughs> with uh, with a female. I'm so happy I that happened. <laughs> I did. Yeah. So there's a. A barbarian female lizard piece, and then there's um, kind of a surreal colored piece, which I don't see a lot of colored Stephen Fabian stuff really. And uh, it's like pay- it's a uh, page 59 uh, from uh, uh, the Dream of X, and you know uh,
0: that's okay. Talk pretty- to me. what What is the Dream of X?
1: I have no earthly idea, but it was, it's a very, very colorful dream, I can tell you that. Um, so, you know, you can check it out. Uh, it, I, I've, I've never heard of The Dream of X, so I really don't know what it's about. And I didn't look that up, I, but it's, except most of this stuff's older work, um, and it is there. Interesting. Um, well,
0: I, I looked it up real quick because we have the internet. It says, The Dream of X is an abridged version of the 1912 science fiction novel by William Hope Hodgson. The Night the, the Nightland. So oh yeah, that's
1: uh, like a, a, a M Do- Do- Donald Grant thing, published thing, right? Yeah. Uh, which uh, here comes the second Conan engine <laughs> <laughs> have done a bunch of uh of uh the, the deluxe conan books uh they never quite finished it you know there's there's roughly nineteen stories and they I think they got eleven of them in print before it lost steam. but there's some uh illustrated books that are really neat that by the same publisher Uh, Over at Comic Link, there is another Stephen Fabian piece, and this piece is really cool. It's kind of like melted astronauts in space. That's the best way I can explain it. Uh, But this is just, I mean, that's some astounding work, Um, really astounding work. So take a look at that. There's also a Richard Kane Ferguson piece in there. Uh, He's kind of a... He's an old-school magic artist. You you will know this guy, okay? Uh, Daniel, uh, do you remember um, the legend uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the legend card?
0: No. The- yes, yes. Now that I said no, I do remember it. Yes, Magic the Gathering. Yes.
1: Yes, Magic Gathering Nebuchadnezzar. Well, th- that's the artist, and they have a a cool piece of some. It looks like a vindo, kind of like a Viking bear man running another bear, running a real bear through with a well, a spear. It's pretty. It's pretty badass, really. I you know, uh, best way I can put. That it's a, it's a badass piece, um, uh, just lots of lots of little things uh, that are in the comic links auctions. Are always worth looking at. You uh, never know what you'll find. Obviously, it's very heavy in super, superhero page art. So if that's your thing, you probably are there, uh, you know, all the time anyway. Um, they always have have a lot of that, but uh, I'm always looking for the. The little pieces that kind of are sliding through, you know. Um, and, you know, I think that's kind of it. Uh, not a lot going on. I, there's actually two things I wanted to talk about, but I looked at the dates, and I think they're more appropriate to speak about next week. So okay. I'll keep those.
0: Well, that, uh, I learned something. this dream of X. I'm going to check it you in know, a 1912 science fiction novel. It's that's, that's right up my alley. So I'm going to check that out, see what that's about.
1: Yeah. yeah. You might, you might want this page 59, though. You know, you read it and you're like, wow, this is the coolest dream of
0: X I've ever read. I might. You're right. You know, I'll, I'll have to get, like, I'll have to start looking for other ones. You know, you know what it, it says it's a 200,000-word novel, so there might be some other, other, uh, <laughs> other pages I might be interested in.
1: Yeah, definitely so. Uh, well... Let that that's it for the week in fantasy art um next week i will be talking about uh upcoming thing very dear to my heart i'm gonna give you a clue i gonna give you a clue uh it's very music oriented but f- from a very popular movie one of one of four posters on my wall and probably something that warped my childhood can
0: you guess what it is? Hmm. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess. Uh, I'm not gonna guess. I'm gonna cut this whole not guessing thing out. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have no idea. Music. Music is not my thing, unfortunately. I mean, I like oh, music, but I just I,
1: saying. Uh, okay, look. What if I told you uh, that one, the soundtrack is probably more famous than the movie?
0: <laughs> is AC DC and Iron Man Two or something? I, I have no idea. Uh, no, no. Okay, well next time. Next time. Uh before we get to the fake sponsor though, I wanna I, I, I wanna I wanna combine your uh fantasy art with uh some research we were doing for our next segment after our, our sponsor read. Um uh, Barlow's Guide to Extra extraterrestrials, Aliens. Uh that's the book I had and I believe I got the reprint which was done in the eighties. Uh I don't know how I got that book. I don't know if I just picked it up or was given to a gift or if I got like a book club edition or something. I don't I have no idea. Uh, but that was really my first introduction to many, many, many aliens that were not were not Romulans or Klingons. Um, and it's uh, it's got, again, Barlow's God, extraterrestrials. And basically he took a bunch of uh, science fiction stories. And he decided he was going to draw them, um, and paint them, and create create the uh, visuals of them, so that you know they existed in in these books. And he made them uh, fantasy art or science fiction art, I guess you would say. And. That, that that is and i saw this coming came up i was like oh yeah that is like a flash flash from my childhood and i've got to find this book i have this book in box a box somewhere i've got to find it uh and i'm my objective for the next i don't know lifetime is to go back and read every science fiction story that's referenced in that thing i've read uh, a few of those um but very few of them, and I, I, some of them I've never even heard of, so obviously I've forgotten. I have some popular ones, uh, famous ones like Highland and uh, uh, Larry Niven and so forth, Asimov and so forth, but other people I've, I, 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 won't, I won't say them because I'm sure people are like, What? Of course, you haven't you've never heard of those, but uh, a bunch of stuff that I've never heard of, so I'm gonna go, I'm gonna read those anyway. So, uh, the second piece of that is. That book was very popular and they came out with uh, Barlow's Guide to Fantasy, which is also a book that I had never heard of until going and looking this up on Wikipedia. It's a 1996 fantasy book uh, by the same Wayne Barlow. Um, It has a bunch of, a bunch of, it's basically the same thing. Instead of science fiction, it's fantasy. It has things I have read and I've read more on this than the science fiction side uh have things are, instance. uh things I haven't read like, well I have let's go with the things I have read like uh um Stephen O'Donaldson's Lord Foul's Bane they have uh, Alice in Wonderland the Caterpillar uh Lewis Carroll's Alice Avengers in Wonderland the Caterpillar uh yeah. and, and so forth like that has a, a bunch of stuff um Dan Simmons Summer of Night just so there's a bunch of interesting things in there. I'm I'm, I'm I i i got to get this book. So uh, yeah, you, you talked about before about sort of opening opening the door. There's a there's a way to open the door is to yeah say hey here's science fiction and also a similar thing in fantasy. And man, I, I've read a lot of these. But maybe maybe I should consider myself a, a fantasy reader instead of a science fiction reader. But anyway, I gotta get this book and look at it. I've never I've never seen this or heard of it before tonight. Okay, so now we can move on to our fake sponsor.
1: Fake sponsor.
0: Are you a human? Are you sure? You've taken DNA tests, and you know you're 75% African, or 75% Northeastern Mongolian, or 75% Western Californian, or whatever what about that other? You know what I'm talking about. The other. 9.85% other. 7.64% other. 12.8% other. What is the other? Now, FACO can tell you if that other is other, non-human, non-terrestrial, a with its simple, clean, clear feedback, you'll get one of two answers. No. You have no alien DNA. And
1: oh fuck, hey, sponsor.
0: Okay, good good talk. Good and talk. Yeah. We're uh,
1: at an hour right now. What? We're oh at an God. hour.
0: That's what happens when I talk. I'll just keep going and going. We've got to talk a little bit about aliens. I mean, just well, but we're not,
1: gonna be able to fit aliens, we're not going to be able to fit the aliens in. <laughs> I mean, really, We're going to be an hour and a half. This will be the longest
0: show if we start talking about aliens. All right. All right. Yeah. We talk about aliens. But I want to talk, talk about that section about are they hostile or not because I think there's just, there's a level of hostility that is so far beyond what we consider hostile. hostile. Uh, and humans are nasty beings who will do nasty things to each other and invade and, and wipe out entire people's But I think if you really let your imagination go uh, abstractly, of course, you don't have to get into details about the types of hostility, I think... I think there's some interesting stuff there that we should say for next time. What do you think?
1: Well, I mean, we can talk. I just think we're going to end up uh, going way over because, I mean, I've got a lot to say on the subject. Uh, let's see. Why don't we just start it and then we can two-part it. We can start the next one. <laughs> With the continuation? I don't know.
0: All right. Let's, let's start it. Whatever. Okay, it's it's alone. Are
1: we alone?
0: Are we alone? All right, so let's let, let me talk about this just very briefly, I know i Let's talk about the mathematical. You knew exactly where I was going to go. Just yeah, statistically right. speaking, uh, so there's so many stars, so much space, so many galaxies, so many superclusters, so many, so much just over and over again stars and galaxies, and superclusters again and again, and again. So much space out there that. It's just, are are we the only thing in the whole universe that can think? I think it's ridiculous to think that. It's technically kind of, like, you know, possible. And I think if we are right now, that it's not, it's just a timing thing. Like, maybe we're the first intelligent species to look out in the stars. I mean... Time and again, humanity has learned that we are not special. But so thinking, ah, we're the first, that's super great. Yeah, Uh,
1: negatory ghost rider. That's what I would say. The odds of that are so slim. You know, uh, when I look around this planet, the first thing I see is just millions and millions of forms of life at every size level and every, every. every different ecosystem just thriving one. I mean, it's, it's endless. The amount of life forms
0: we see, some of which are quite intelligent. Um, Right. So what that, what that tells me is that if life gets started, it really fills up the niches, right? It really, it, it goes as much as it can. Of course, it takes a while go from like one cell to two cells, you know, billions of years, but, once it gets going multicellular, it just it just keeps it's just a snowball effect more complex more complicated more niches more specialties and so forth until you know and I'm sure you'll talk about this until but, finally
1: you reach an octopus who can take your picture
0: yeah or something even more crazy than that like you know
1: <laughs> that's a real thing, though. You know that? Did you, did you
0: see that? We, that should have probably been in What's Cool. And that, that is pretty cool. And then, have uh, you seen I'm that? I'm not sure that's cool. That, that is the thing that's going to kill you, is the octopus <laughs> taking your picture.
1: So there There is an octopus. They showed him three times what to do, and he can now take your picture.
0: Great. Actually, that's, that's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, so life... It feels in the the niches and and is, is infinitely or almost infinitely adaptable once it gets started.
1: Right. Uh, So, you know, it it goes out here. It's just, just bursting at the seams has to fill the niches, you know, uh, as you say, and uh, you know, that's unique to this one little speck in the universe. I just highly doubt it. Uh, What. The Drake equation, I mean, you know, it's there's there's probably just untold numbers of civilizations out there. And it really the real question we should be asking is, you know, is is warp drive, you know, space-time bending travel possible? Because and this is where you start getting into the idea of, of visitation or whatever. It's because if it's possible, mathematically, it's probably already in existence. Hello, uh, a bunch of uh, descendants from uh, m- monkeys uh, can now teleport a small molecule. <laughs> you know, I just – it's – more more than likely in existence if there are other intelligent races and mathematically speaking there's no way they're not and uh with the age of the you know with the age of the universe uh is is as we know it i mean the idea that we are the first is that's that's pretty that's pretty far fetched too i think
0: yeah the the counters to the to to that not an encounters just sort of the uh, a contrast maybe is uh if there's so so much life, and this is a rhetorical question if there's so much life, where is it uh, and i and I know what you'd say is like well it's maybe it's visiting us right now, but there's also the the obvious why can't we look across the stars and see uh obvious signs? Of civilization superstructures just littered across maybe dead civilizations that didn't clean up the trash and they're just, uh, you know, weird spectrographic results that we look at a star and see some stuff. Maybe we just haven't looked enough. Uh, But I I think, uh, you know, it fills the niches, right? If it's if it is out there and we're not the first, then the obvious next question is why? Isn't it everywhere? Why, why, why do we even get a chance to start? Because it should have already swept over our solar system and filled out every niche billions of years ago with already evolved multicellular life. And we would never have had a chance. Uh, and that's, that's you know, one thing. And then to the counter, to the counter, or to the second frame in the conversation is that uh, a great filter something that over and over again is encountered by species in life that prevents them from becoming really advanced, that prevents them from uh, spreading through the stars, uh, whether that's... Sp-
1: well, everyone, yeah, everyone hypothesizes, you know, can you uh, get out of the stage where you're self-destructive, you know, because... We have the power to kill ourselves right now. We all know this, so
0: right. And then, yeah. you know, that's that's the um, that's the uh, nuclear holocaust where we just wipe ourselves out, reset to zero, and blow ourselves back to beyond beyond Stone Age to just like barely multi cellular life, right? But that's the internal thing. So that's like a psychological barrier filter that the intelligent species don't get smart enough fast enough or aren't smart enough ever 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 to get past that Uh, or maybe it's something else an external thing it's just like a physical reality that uh, an exploding stars regularly wipe out large sections of galaxies they just irradiate the whole section of the galaxy and the uh, life even it gets started never gets a chance to go anywhere because it's just getting wiped out constantly by this natural phenomenon. It happens at a rate that just keeps everything basically sterilized. Uh, So, you know, civilization gets created at rate X, but these things happen at rate Y and it's just fast enough to wipe everything out. Uh, So, or it's a combination of those things, or if you're lucky enough, X that, you know, but you happen to live is you're lucky enough to be smart enough not to blow yourself up but you live in a, a place that it sterilizes itself that so all the odds work out that basically life in the universe is near zero um, there's no there's no answer there's no answer to that because um, there's no that we, we have not yet to see any obvious signs of widespread life we have yet to see any obvious signs of a phenomenon that wipes uh, sterilizes large segments of a galaxy or so on and we have yet to blow ourselves up and we see life evolving filling in inches and spreading so you know how do you square the circle i don't think we have an answer to that
1: Yeah, it's it's just there's so many variables in in the whole thing. Uh, you know, so much that's unknown. I mean, if you're going to do math, you have to know everything, and we we know next to nothing. Uh, but you know, uh, let, you know, uh, let's talk about a little bit. Like you said, about what what would an alien look like, um, or you know, how hostile would they be? I mean, these are the things that you can kind of just speculate on, you know, uh, I think as we touched on before that, I think looking at the ocean is the best way we can see how a different environment might influence the look and shape of creatures.
0: You know, I I agree. And before we, I know you want to jump into this, I'm going to let you, but let's just narrow, narrow down a little bit what we're talking about, because we're not talking about like a alien, Cell drifting through space that happens to land on our planet and starts to reproduce and oh no it's like an infection can we deal with that we're not talking something relatively benign or natural like that right it's just chance that happens and we're not talking about like von Neumann machine which is uh, uh, an attempt for to spread ourselves or someone to spread themselves just by sending robots out into space that will reproduce. Some life in some way as they know it, as they knew it, and it just consumes, consumes, consumes and recreates things in a pattern. I'm talking about something a little bit less, less natural by chance as a the cell, and something a little bit more directed and intelligent than a, a robot that just recreates things in, in a very simple pre-programmed way. You're talking about something between those, which is like, what would an alien look like? who would choose to come visit humans is that right
1: yeah you know the whole cosmic zoo thing, thing too you know if if a race has mastered time and space and has such vastly superior technology there's a very good chance that the reason we are alive is because we're some place for them to visit you know Uh um you know of course we're going to make everything uh we're going to make everything very uh human like that's what humans do right that's how that's what we see ourselves doing so we kind of want to personify uh and put you
0: know put that on them uh well we're we're limited by our mental models and that is itself shaped by you know random chance but also the experiences we grow up with and have experienced. So our mental models have limits to how far they can flex. Some people can flex them pretty far, thankfully. and uh, But even even the people who flex them far, 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 still it looks suspiciously like things we know. And people might say that that's a limitation to humanity, limitation to life. We can only you know, combine things that have existed in the past. We're not really creative, blah, blah, blah. But I think we are just sort of, we don't know how to train our brains to be uh, outside of our, our limitations. We don't, we don't have that knowledge. We haven't really made that concept yet. And some of that is by necessity because we just, we're, I mean, we're a rich country. United States is rich country in the world, but compared to what you might think of a, a post-scarcity, infinite energy, uh, long-lived individuals civilization, imagine what they could learn and how they might be able to uh, train train people uh, given given the chance. So and they might be truly imaginative, uh, and they might might be able to to present themselves. Whatever that means to uh or, or just stay they i mean they could literally stand in front of us and be so alien and crazy looking that' our mental models can't really process them that we would we wouldn't be able to see them we would just be like just look right past them you know' it would be so alien yeah, I mean
1: uh they could be like a ghost really to us, you know.
0: Yeah, or we would put it in some framework, you know, it was like, uh, you know, oh, it was a ghost, but uh, not a ghost, uh, you know, not, not a dead person, which is just something we thought was, we couldn't, we couldn't, we just randomly assigned it to category effectively, right? Uh, or a fireball in the sky, you know, you think, oh, it's aliens come to visit us, but maybe it's well, something well, even crazier.
1: We really didn't get to go through the, this part the way i wanted to uh i mean I, we barely got to aliens the alien stuff but i think we got a you know next episode let's just get let's pick it up here okay and uh i want to really kind of dive into what got me interested in the subject because at one point in time i was just like everybody else hey you know uh yeah that's funny little green man ha 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 right did I have an event where I saw a, a UFO? No. Did I meet an alien? No. That you know kind of. of. Well, yeah. So, so what? What kind of changed in me, and what did it? And I can tell you uh, that it has a lot to do with these videos that started surfacing when the internet boomed, where uh, you could actually get NASA's feeds. And some of the anomalies contained within there, that's when I started kind of giving it a serious look. And there's a lot there, a lot of very unexplainable things, which at the very least means we've got some craft and some abilities that they're not telling us about that's well beyond anything we can imagine right now. And, you know, I'll point a few of those out. And, what I said, what I love about these things is, you know, it it came straight from NASA itself, and they'll they'll explain it away any way they want, but there's a few of them. I just count a couple on the top, just off the top of my head, that really, really give them nowhere to go, if you ask me. All they can do is say it's top secret, and we can't tell you about that, because it's something. What is it? Is it uh, people from another dimension? Is it our guys in super technology already blasting out into space and they're not telling us about it? Uh, is it people from the future? We see, don't know. See,
0: that's, that's my, uh, that's my, uh, whatever, we can get into this next time, but whenever someone says, is it, is it aliens? I always say, well, you have to be able to distinguish alien visitation from humans from the future. If you can't distinguish those then there's we'll talk about why that's important. We'll, but we'll
1: talk about it. But my, my point is I got interested when I, I realized there really is something to it. And if you don't if you'll stop laughing for just a second and actually look at some of these things, you know, I don't think you can Draw any other conclusion other than that there is some very serious technology uh, whipping around this planet, and uh, you know, its origins I, I don't know if we'll ever know unless someone comes out with it. But, um, super credible things, uh, uh that you just, um, you know you just really can't just turn a blind eye to. You have to say it's something, you know, uh, when you have thousands of people in the same location see the something and you track it on the radar and you know it's as big as a house you know much bigger big bigger as, bigger as a couple of battleships and when you've got the kind of people coming forth to me it bears it, it, it warrants you taking the time to take a look into it at least make sure it's something that we shouldn't be laughing at you know uh it's uh It's something we talk about next. Uh, Like I said, we're well over our time this episode, so we'll pick it back up. We'll get into cool things like Roswell and the Phoenix Lights and um, just kind of talk about some of these NASA videos that I'm talking about. Secret NASA Man.
0: Um, Secret NASA Man.
1: Yeah, Secret NASA Man. Very very interesting. Uh, It was a YouTube account that first started kind of releasing these videos uh, that I used to follow anyway Um, so we'll pick it up next time though it's going to be interesting